Hey, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to another episode of Alternate Galaxies, where this time around we're looking at The Mandalorian Season 3. Dave, hello. Hello. It's been a few weeks since The Mandalorian finished on our screens, but we've had other things to do, like we did Star Trek Picard last week on Alternate Galaxies, for example. But we're here tonight to finally give our thoughts on this season. Uh, yes, we are. We have done the last two seasons of The Mandalorian. It would be wrong not to get out for this third season, even though I feel like it didn't quite make the splash the other two did. Mm. Well, I'll note quickly the spoiler curtain isn't down yet, folks. Dave, what if we start by talking about our expectations for this season before it started? My expectations going into this were pretty high, and for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. One, Andor, I think, was the last big thing out from the Star Wars franchise, Mm -hmm. and you and I both absolutely loved that. So we were very, very up on the saga as it was. Uh, If I were to say what my second favourite thing in the Star Wars universe lately was, it would be The Mandalorian Season 1. So it felt like we were coming back to that first really fun saga that we had and and also i do feel like there was a good healthy bit of buzz around star wars whilst this was coming out and as it was building up there was that sense that they were building up to doing some more announcements which they did across the series mm-hmm. new se- new series were being announced new movies were being announced yes. um, i think we got the daisy ridley news in the middle of mandalorian season two we would have i think yep so so there was a good buzz around star wars perhaps for the first time in a while. And that, plus, as I say, my response to Andor, had me quite excited for Mandalorian coming back. Yeah, I'm in similar territory because I was pretty happy with the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, not just the first season, but I was conflicted with his return in the Boba Fett show because on one hand, it was great to see him back even though it wasn't his show but he sort of popped up and he was back at his awesome best i i still can't believe that scene dave where he's after the bounty and he gets the guy and he slices him in half with the dark saber and actually slices the table in half as well that the guy's laying on and i'm like oh my god this is great But then he was reunited with Grogu an episode later. He'd handed off Grogu to Luke Skywalker. He was going to train with Luke. And then an episode later, and again, we're in the Boba Fett show here, folks. He gets Grogu back. And I was like, oh, man, we've just had two seasons. We've got rid of the kid. What are we doing back here? Don't don't give Grogu a choice. (laughs) Oh, no, he's back. Honestly, I was hoping to get back to some down and dirty bounty hunting in season three without the worry of having the baby in tow and doing some mystical Jedi bullshit. But, okay, we knew we had Grogu back going into this season, and despite what I just said, it still wasn't a deal-breaker for me. I thought, okay, we'll have another season like the first two seasons we've just had, which had Grogu in them, and they turned out fine, even though I think it's time to ditch the kids. So in that respect, I had decent enough hopes for season three. It wasn't going to be completely what I wanted, i.e. Grogu gone, but if the first two seasons could do it, maybe this third season could do it. I'll stop there. I'm really glad you raised the whole Boba Fett thing because I had to sort of physically 
determinatively remind myself in the lead up to this that those episodes weren't actually the Mandalorian season two. No, they were, they were just this 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 drop in to, to Boba Fett. Which look, I've got to say, they were a blessed relief when it came to Boba Fett because you know, it wasn't going well up until then. Oh yeah, and the first of them was great. Like I say, where he goes after that guy chops him in half i thought oh this is what i want from the mandalorian even though it's not the mandalorian and and remember rob there were all those rumors that i i think probably were just rumors but all those rumors that the studio knew that boba fett just wasn't working and suddenly rushed forward episodes one and two of mando season three and just dropped them in i i don't think that's the case i think they are genuinely trying to build this universe now where anything can drop into anything else and it's all one big tapestry but, but that that was the genuine rumour out there at the time. Man, Mando had to come to save Boba Fett. It was a weird thing. And I, I would have to go and look up Wikipedia, but I'm pretty sure the Boba Fett series was only seven episodes, whereas everything else is like eight. So I'm wondering if they lost episodes somewhere and maybe did drop in the Mandalorian episodes and were still an episode short. Because... Seven seems a weird number of episodes to do. I'm pretty sure that was a seven-episode series. Yeah, look, which is all a long way of saying that I think we've been up and down with some of these series lately. I think, I, you know, I was up on Andor, I was down on Boba Fett, I was up and down on Obi-Wan, depending on the episode, and, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and just sort of going, but, you know, I know that Mando's coming, and Mando's good. Yeah, and I'll just throw in, I've really enjoyed The Bad Batch on the whole. Most of those episodes have been really good. I haven't seen them yet, but people are saying good things. Well, let's move into, before we bring the spoiler curtain down, our overall thoughts on how the season played out, spoiler-free, so people can get a taste of what's to come. So I'll say a couple of things in this spoiler-free thing, so some very general comments. Uh, The first is to echo what I said I was going to echo in our Picard Alternate Galaxies, where Mm -hmm. whatever the pros and cons, whatever my views and nitpicks uh, of this season were, and whatever we discuss, positive or negative, over the next 40, 50 minutes, I enjoyed this season and I looked forward to every episode. And I think that The Mandalorian remains one of those shows that I do note down in my my mental calendar wednesday's mando day and i want to go home and mm-hmm. i want to watch mando or if i'm in canberra it's like no i'm not going to watch it on the laptop in the hotel room i'm going to wait till i'm back home and i've got the big tv and i'm going to watch this show properly this is not a, a, a just you know filler show this is a this is a vent television for me and and i did maintain mm-hmm. that across the season so very very positive when i look at the season now looking back my memories of the positives are of that sense of eight episodes that are more or less self-contained and each of them had some cool stuff and I won't mention what the cool stuff was but I remember a lot of cool things that happened that we can discuss when the spoiler curtain comes down Uh, on the other hand though there are two things in this season that I am not happy with and that I did not enjoy and sadly they became two of the dominant things in the season and in fact by the finale they were the two dominant things neither of them Mm. particularly interest me and that was a big detractor for season three so they're my general thoughts Robbie what about yours generally Dave I was really disappointed with this season I think the season felt stupidly disjointed And this season also saw the Mandalorian become a kind of incompetent fool 
who needed to be saved all the time by a particular character who it's clear Disney absolutely loves and is really pushing forward. So after two seasons of Din Djarin being really cool and really good at what he does, he became a bit player in his own show, which is Shades of the Boba Fett show again. What on earth is wrong with Disney writers? And that's all I'm saying before the spoiler curtain comes down. I can totally understand everything you just said, and I don't particularly disagree (laughs) with anything you just said. I think our disagreement is going to be how much we allowed the one issue to overcome the other thing. Right. Shall we bring the curtain down? I think we're going to have to. (laughs) Rob, let's kick off by saying one of the two things about this season that I didn't like, and you've very clearly said already, so we're, we're in simpatico on this. I think, and that is that I am over with Grogu. I'm done with Grogu. Mm-hmm. I I was never somebody who was particularly enamored with Grogu. <laughs> I admit when I first saw this baby Yoda type creature, I was like, that's a really yeah. cool idea. That's an interesting idea. Where did he come from? How's this all going to work? I wasn't like, oh my God, it's the cutest thing ever. Oh my God, baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Like I was never in that category, but I thought it was a cool idea. I, I did sort of like the whole you know, wolf and cub arc and but 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 by the end of season two I was sort of like, okay, we've we've done this. Great. As you said, Rob, he's handed him off to, to Luke Skywalker. He can go train. Sure, yeah. we can get cameos from Grogu. You know, Team Grogu can come back for a season finale at some point. I thought that's that's great. Then they brought him back and I was just no the the kid can't speak. He can't really do much. He's, he's he's sort of done everything he can do. We've had the moments of, ooh, he can use the Force. That's really cool. And look, I know that the creators of modern Star Wars are very big on the, we want to use physical props and do real effects whenever we can to capture that view of Star Wars. And I, I like that. I like that vibe they're going for. But I've got to say, that Grogu prop, if it's sitting in this little pod, it looks okay. The moment they take it out, they've got to pass it around and those little puppet legs are just sort of dangling lifelessly under the thing. Oh, it's so bad. So I was really just over Grogu in this season, Rob. I think you were too. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, handing him off to Luke gave them the perfect opportunity to bring him back in the future and bring him back changed. Bring him back maybe with the ability to speak. Could you imagine that? If Grogu comes back after a season and goes like, hi, at the end of an episode, the internet would break, right? Or if he had better force powers, that would be very interesting. Instead, they've just gone for the immediate sugar hit, the immediate dopamine hit. Oh, people like this, so we've just got to keep doing it. Let's do it again and again and again. And he's doing the same stuff again and again and again. With slight variations, like they bring on the IG droid and that little creature's driving it. And I instantly turned to my wife. I said, they're going to put Grogu in that. And she went, oh, no, no. And then they did. And so, like, that was new, but it still was the same stuff because he's just doing baby stuff again, like pushing the no, no, yes, yes buttons, squishing the fruit at the market. It's like... Yeah, I I need him to evolve. I would have liked him to go away for a season. Do the Mandalorian arc. Do a big bounty hunter arc. Whatever. Without the kid. (laughs) Bring him back changed. It would be much more interesting. But no, they had to go the immediate sugar hit. And, oh, writers. Disney writers. Cool. So, look, we've had the Grogu rant. Yes. (laughs) Um, I don't know if we're in the majority and the minority, but look... Just talking to people at work, there was a sense of they weren't as over him as we were, but they were sort of 
of the view. Yeah, look, I see what you mean. Yeah, he, he is kind of done. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I don't think he was quite the sugar hit that people thought, well, that the writers thought he'd be. No, I agree. I mentioned before the spoiler curtain just there were things that I really enjoyed about this season and having just had negative, I'll, I'll throw in a positive and that is there were lots of nice bits of adventure in this season, which is the thing that I want most from a show like the Mandalorian. There were times when they went to cool, strange new worlds and they did cool sci-fi stuff. There were times when, you know, it was the one where they fought the dragon monster. It was the one where they fought the rebel droids. It was the one where we went to Coruscant. So mm-hmm. I did feel there were lots of things. And as I look back at the season, that's that's really what I look back with fondly, that I could tune in and there was an adventure tonight. And it was fun. It was action-packed. Occasionally had dragons and... Yeah, there were deeper things here that I can criticise, and I think we're both going to criticise about the season, but I really want to emphasise right here, right now, there was lots of cool adventure that I could sit at home on the couch and just immerse myself in, and sometimes Star Wars doesn't need to be more than that. Yes, I I understand what you're saying, but this gives me a great segue into... (laughs) A copious amount of notes I've got here. Yeah. Earlier, I mentioned that I thought the season was disjointed. Yep. So let's look at it. And this this might take a bit of unpacking. The season starts. The Mandalorian's back. He needs to take a bath on Mandalore. Going there and taking a bath takes two whole episodes. And being saved by Bo-Katan in the process. And we'll get back to that. The third episode then went off on a wild story about Dr. Pershing, the war criminal. We'll talk about that some more, I'm sure. Mm. Then we're back in the fourth episode. Four episodes in, this season so far is still the story of a man who had a bath. I mean, just stop and ponder. We're, We're halfway through the season, and the main thing that's happened is he's taken a bath. Then in that fourth episode, some idiot Mando kid got taken by a pterodactyl. We had the slowest rescue mission ever, which Bo-Katan got all the credit for, even though I think the Mandalorian actually saved him in the end. Into episode five, we fight the Pirates of the Caribbean because they wanted to have a drink in a schoolroom. Of course, Bo-Katan leads the Mando force to save the day with the promise they can all live on Apollo Creed's planet um, after that, but none of them do. Episode 6, we had the pointless Jack Black and Lizzo episode, which misrepresented droids as if they go around boozing in bars and acting like humans. That was quite strange. And of course, Bo-Katan defeated the leader of the Mandalorian privateers and got the Darksaber off Din without fighting him in that episode. Then into the final two parts, Dave. Stuff actually happened. We had the tease that Moff Gideon's been making Force clones, but for some reason a single button can just destroy all of the Force clones with one press. <laughs> Then Bo-Katan saved the Mandalorian again. Do we see a pattern there? Mm. Then Grogu saved them all because apparently a light cruiser smashing into the base only causes a bit of a fire for 10 seconds. Uh, And then Din semi-retired. That's the whole season. How disjointed was that? The answer to your question, Rob, is very. Yes. (laughs) And I I know what you mean. Individually, these are little adventures. But as a whole, it's like, oh my God. So, once again, yes. I, I don't disagree with anything that you've said there. Maybe a, a couple of examples, a couple of episodes I did enjoy more than you did. Uh, but fundamentally, I don't disagree with the point you're making. And I think that you get the point I'm making. And, yes. and perhaps the, the, our mutual enjoyment of the season does depend on how much you lean in, as I did, to, you know what? 
the season isn't quite working as a whole, but hey, that was a fun episode, or whether you're just like, well, what does this all mean? And and don't get me wrong, I definitely was sitting there, particularly as we sort of got into the back four of the season, and I was saying, well, hey, hang on, weren't weren't we just setting this up, <laughs> and now oh, but but now we're setting this, and 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 I was willing to sort of say, okay, well, I, you know, this is setting stuff up for the big finale, that's fine, and then we got to episode six and episode seven, and I was sort of like, we're not we're not. We're not going to do any of this stuff now, are we? Well, well, episode six was that Jack Black and Lizzo episode, which was just a pointless runaround. At the end of which Grogu got knighted. He hadn't actually done anything in the whole episode except hang out with the Queen. Then she's like, oh, I knight you, you know, just because it was a cute scene, apparently. So let me let me say, I quite enjoyed that episode. I thought it was a good, fun runaround. It was really cool to see the guy from Star Trek Three rock up, and um, I think he was in a couple of other movies from the eighties I haven't seen, but uh, he was in the West Wing, so that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was good to see Christopher Lloyd rock up. It was fun to see a different take on a strange new world. I enjoyed that. The Mandalorian got to do some Mandalorian um, and, and, you know, track down baddies and find stuff. I thought that was fine. I, I did have the moment of, ha, oh, that's Jack Black. He's playing Jack Black. <laughs> Whatever. Mm. I had no idea who the other person was. And a friend of mine at work was messaging me going, oh, what do you think of Lizzo? And I'm like, what do you mean? There wasn't a lizard creature there. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, and, and he said, what do you mean a lizard creature? I said, well, you know, like, like a gorn. I sent him a picture of a gorn. He's like, no, no, Lizzo. And that went on for quite a while. Um, so I genuinely had no idea that she was someone I was meant to recognize and have an opinion on. So that passed me by and Jack Black happened and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, would it be my choice? Probably not. Did I care that much? No. But I thought it was a fine adventure. But but to, to get to my bigger point, I, I did get to the end of that. And I did think they've got two episodes to talk about the Pershing stuff, the, the, the Coruscant stuff, the conspiracy stuff, the setting the Mandos up to be the murderers stuff, um, the, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, they're not going to do that, are they? Mm. Is this set up for the Ahsoka season, which we by now we knew was happening, or is this set up for the Mandalorian season four, or or, or, or is this just a season that hasn't been planned well and one writer is dropping a thread that another writer just hasn't picked up. I don't know. I agree it was disjointed and that was a big problem with the season that was outweighed by my enjoyment of the individual bits. Yeah, look, I think it's disjointed. I think there's problems behind the scenes and I'm, I'm not unique in saying this. I think John Favreau has checked out of the show. His writing has always been a little off, even in the first two seasons, like he has an idea for two or three really really great episodes like in those first two seasons i can think of some fabulous episodes but he needs to write eight so some of them aren't amazing and they end up just being little filler episodes with strange side quests you know to use a video game term can i can i put a question to you yeah sure if they had removed any pretense at a season-long arc and they'd just done eight standalone adventures would you have been happier with that than the the mix we got or did you really want that that arc? I would have been happier. Yep. But I probably, knowing me, would have been sitting there thinking, what is the point of this? Yeah, what, right. You know, given that the first two seasons did go in a particular way, now why would the third, where is it going? What does this all mean? I'd be trying to connect the dots between episodes that weren't meant to be connected, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, look, John Favreau, this time around, 
it, it just it just felt like he didn't care as much about the season and there's been a rumor that he's been fighting a bit of a losing battle inside Disney and I think that killing off his identification character Paz Vizsla for, for those of you at home the big heavy weapons Mandalorian Paz Vizsla when you buy the action figure and take its helmet off it's John Favreau underneath well I believe when you take the costume off it's John Favreau underneath I'm I'm not sure if he does him on set. Oh, okay. I'm I'm not entirely sure if he does him on set. The same as mostly the Mandalorian probably isn't um, Pedro Pascal. Pedro no. Pascal either. In, um, in fact, even in the credits, they now acknowledge that it's not. It's certainly John Favreau's voice, and it's certainly his likeness in toys and such. But I'm not sure he actually plays him on set. Oh, okay, um, cool. But th- there's this rumor that by having Paz Vizsla killed off by the Praetorian Guard. That's Favreau saying he's leaving the series. He's 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 killed his character off, literally. Mm. And he's done it in such a tongue-in-cheek way. He's killed it with these characters from The Last Jedi, the Praetorian Guard. So he's sort of inferring that he's been defeated internally at Disney by the forces representing The Last Jedi. People like Kathy Kennedy and such. Because his brand of Star Wars, at least initially, first two seasons, was always seen as sort of the antidote to that by a lot of fans. And people take that scene as very, very, very symbolic now. Had you thought about that at the time? I hadn't. I don't think I realised he was Favreau until after it happened. And somebody actually oh. came in. Somebody came into work and said, "Hey, you know that dude's John Favreau, don't you?" I was going, "Oh no, I didn't." But that makes perfect sense. Uh, so no, I, I didn't actually connect those dots at the time. Right. So look, to me, it now feels like the show's going to become Dave Filoni's to craft as he sees fit, pushing it all towards the motion picture he's going to make in a couple of years' time that ties together Ahsoka and Boba Fett and Mandalorian and all of that. And look, I think the proof of the pudding will be as we get closer to season four and we see who's writing the thing. If Favreau's back as the main writer, I'll eat my words happily, but I don't think I will be. I think this is a changing of the guard. I think Dave Filoni is taking over this show. Look, that's a perfectly reasonable theory. I don't have any reason to, to, to rebut that or any evidence to the contrary. Mm. I, I think the other thing that's going to be interesting proof is not just who's writing and running season four of The Mandalorian, but whether they pick up some of the plot strands here that do seem to be hanging. And it could be that we'll be back in a year, 18 months, doing our alternate galaxies on season four of The Mandalorian and going, you know what? Season three makes so much sense now because mm-hmm. all the things that they set up and they dangled that we thought were loose threads all came back and got neatly picked up in this and now it all works. It's possible we'd be saying that or it's possible we'll be sitting there going, none of that mattered. Yeah. Yep, and again, if John Favreau has written all of that season four we review, I will sit here and say I was bloody wrong. I was crazy, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. No, another example of the season being a little bit disjointed was the the intent or the the vision of Din Djarin as the Mandalorian. It seemed as though at some points there were two Din Djarins. There was the one who wanted to go and bring the Mandalore back to Mandalore and, you know, find his old home and set up new colonies and retake the world. And then there was the other Din Djarin who wanted his plot of land on his buddy's planet where he could settle down and have a farm and raise Grogu. And those seem to be very, very disjointed things. Like literally one episode, it's, hey, I've got a mate who has a planet and he's offered me land. Let's come up and set a new Mandalorian colony on this planet. And everyone's like, oh, awesome, a, a new Mandalore. And then the next episode, they're like, hey, we can 
go to Mandalore and yeah. <laughs> and we can have our new home on Mandalore. And they seemed really disjointed. And look, I... Well, well I was going to say, their whole reason for helping Apollo Creed was to win that land on his planet. And then it was just completely forgotten about in one episode. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that to me was the biggest piece of whiplash that I just thought, what? what? What's yeah. going on there? And, and look, you know, the, the final scene was nice and I'm looking forward to the spin-off series Mando's Farm where Mando and Din Djarin, <laughs> you know, raise some sheep and have to worry because the New Republic won't let them open a restaurant. You know, that'll... Mando and Din Grogu, we should yeah, say. Sorry, yes. Yes, so, you know, that, that, that'll be fun. You know, Mando opens a restaurant and raises sheep. And, and, and I, I was really engaged and bought into this idea of the new Mandalore and they, they fight and they win some land on the frontier and they go and set up a new colony and, and I just thought that's a really cool idea and brings all these different threads and all the, all these bits of the Mandalorian's life uh, come together. I thought it was really, really good. Which brings me to the second thing in the season that I just had no interest in and that is all the other Mandalorians. I know that people who are deeper ingrained in Star Wars lore, and particularly the cartoon series, are a lot more invested in Bo-Katan and her quest and her mission than I was. I, I had no knowledge of who Bo-Katan was before she rocked up in this series, or, or in series two, I should say, but in, in, in the Mandalorian, the series. I had no idea who Bo-Katan was. I don't really care who Bo-Katan was. Nobody in the series has really tried to sell me on the idea that Bo-Katan is somebody important. There's, there's a lot of, that's Bo-Katan, she's important. Why? Because she's Bo-Katan. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. And so uh, that 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 thread was the one that I was very, very disinterested in. So um, that means, and we'll talk about it more, but when we got to the finale and it was all about Grogu uh-huh. in, the, in the suit and Bo-Katan on Mandalore, I was like, well, these are the two least interesting parts of the series. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Bo-Katan, like I was saying earlier, without mentioning her by name, Disney just loves her. This season was all about her, Dave. You know, there's no two ways of looking at it. And in this, I'm quite conflicted because I liked Bo in the Clone Wars animated series. And I really like Katie Sackhoff, who voiced her in Mm -hmm. the Clone Wars series. I loved Katie Sackhoff in BSG. I thought Katie Sackhoff was amazing in Longmire. Longmire is one of my favourite shows we've never talked about, probably because it's not sci-fi. So this is no hating on Katie at all. I think Katie Sackhoff is awesome. Sounds like you want to say something? No, I was just going to absolutely agree. I think that the actress is doing a really good job, and yet Katie Sackhoff is very cool. Yeah, I think she is bloody awesome. But this show started as being about Din. He he is the Mandalorian. It's his show. And having him go from being highly competent in the first two seasons to being rescued by Bo in some way in almost every episode, I want to say, and the over the overall storyline being more about her taking power again, taking over Mandalore, I'm just like, what what is this? This isn't what I'm here for. No, I agree with you. And it really does feel as though before season three started, somebody did walk into the writer's room and said, look, we've got a few requirements. Um, Bo-Katan needs to be bigger, louder, and have access to a time machine. And when <laughs> Bo-Katan isn't on screen, all the characters should be saying, where's Bo-Katan? <laughs> Very good. Uh, hi, Mr. Myers. Uh, I've been doing some thinking, and I got some ideas to improve the show. I got it right here. Uh, one... Hoochie needs to be louder, angrier, and have access to a time machine. Two, whenever Poochie's not on screen, 
All the other characters should be asking, where's Poochie? Three. Great, great. Just leave them right there on the floor on your way out. Um, but, but yeah, you, you, you're right. I, I think that if you're... Look, look, I suspect if you're invested in Bo-Katan, you may get more out of this than we did. But, but then you're saying that you are more invested than me and you didn't. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. Because, again, that was the second part of my point. The show is The Mandalorian. It's mm. about Din Djarin. I'm, I'm not watching this for Bo-Katan. The same as I wasn't watching The Clone Wars for Bo-Katan, but when she turned up and did cool things in, in the episodes that were about her, I thought, fine, it's part of a bigger thing. But she just dominated this whole season. We only have eight eps to play with, and she did something awesome, I think, in all of them, largely saving The Mandalorian. Yeah, and, and it also did sort of rewrite a little bit of... Not not continuity, but but certainly writing intent. One of my favourite scenes of previous episodes was when Mando won the Dark Saber, and Bo-Katan says, "No, it's mine. I want it more." And he's like, mm. "Okay, cool, have it." No, no, no. You have to you have to win it. And he's like, "I don't want it here." Okay, you beat me. I yield. Have it. You know, it was really cleverly done. It was really quite a funny moment. Yeah. And she's like, "No, the the, the legend says." And I think I did comment to you at the time. What legend and who's arbitrating this legend? Like, you know, who's who says that you have to win it or not? That you know, is the dark saber sentient? I don't know. Is it is it like the the that magic wand from um Harry Potter that knows who its owner is, or is it just a lightsaber? I don't know. Like, if if someone dies, can you just pick it up and then it's yours? Yeah, like like who? If are, you didn't beat them. Yeah, who who officiates these 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 you know funny dark saber rules? But but then having you know taken that very very seriously, we basically do just get a moment of. Well, you've morally beaten me, so here's the dark saber, kid. Yeah, like uh, you saved me an episode ago, so um, here it is. Here, oh, here thanks. It is. But I've but I've been saving it for the end of this episode because this will be a more dramatic moment to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then, well, look, look, should we talk a bit about the finale? And um... well, I was going to segue into Din because it's sort of tied into Bo because. As I already said, Din became a bit of a bit player in his own show in this season. The constant rescuing from Bo-Katan, deferring to Bo-Katan. I know a lot of ladies online swooned when he did the whole, I'll stick with you until your song is sung line. You know, there were, there were memes about that, Dave, like, you know, find a guy who says this to you sort of thing. Oh, look, it was a great line. So, look, I found him a really hard character to be interested in this season. He, he was just kind of there like there was this symbol of the mandalorian in the armor we we don't see his face he's deferring to this other character he's saved by this other character he's just there yet it's his show i keep coming back to that i can't help it because it's his show yeah i do wonder whether pedro pascal openly saying he was kind of checking out of the show a bit and not being around as much has definitely affected i think when i think back to what i loved about that first season of the mandalorian it was that sort of in the first 10 minutes we saw that this guy was a ruthless bounty hunter. We had that whole little sort of mini opening sequence where he uh, finds the, the 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 bounty guy and he arrests him and he takes him back to his ship and then he traps him and puts him in carbonite. And it's, mm-hmm. it's all just so efficient. And, and he's not he's not magically strong. He's just a really skilled fighter. And I thought well, the balance was really good. But there was that sense of there's somebody underneath that armor and at least once a season he takes the armor off because there are reasons that are bigger than just being the mandalorian and and, and it's sort of a really good balance and, and that stuff you're right was missed did did i enjoy the guy in the suit going on adventures yeah i did did it have as much depth as the past seasons no you're right it didn't mm. 
And look, outside of Bo and Din, I'll just touch briefly on the other characters because I was less moved by them um, as well. <laughs> Apollo Creed seems like a parody of his earlier seasons. We got the zany Tatooine mechanic lady seemingly there for no other reason. But, you know, remember Tatooine? Remember R5 droids? <laughs> you know, like mm. the one that she give forces on Din. The Mandalorians as a group were pretty generic. Moff Gideon was like a moustache twirling bad guy sort of shoehorned in at the end of the season. Like, I've got clones. Oh, you pushed a button. Now I don't have clones. And I've been blown up. Like, uh, thanks. We got the Asian X-Wing pilot providing some connective tissue between the Imperial chick who zapped Dr. Pershing and the Mandalorians. But that's kind of gone nowhere, at least for the moment. Maybe it will become a thing in the fourth season. The whole production just felt very comic book to me, Dave. People are rolled on. They're rolled off. The thing moves forward at some pace. The episodes were largely quite short. It's like the junk food of Star Wars this season. Uh, yes, uh, I will pick up a little bit on what you said there about mm. Moff Gideon. I originally was very ready to praise Gideon because even when he wasn't on screen and even when he wasn't in an episode, he's one of those characters whose presence... I felt, and when you get that sense of Moff Gideon's escaped, or Moff Gideon was on board, or Moff Gideon's beat, Moff Gideon's been here, I, I do get that sense of, oh, this is bad. You know, the, mm-hmm. the big bad's escaped, and he's a really great villain, and it's all going to happen. And, and, and you're right, he did he did come along and, and just sort of play the, the, the pantomime villain for that last episode. He, he had the... Um, the Serverland Children of Aaron moment when all these clones were killed and I, I was waiting for him to do the whole, they were mine, I felt them die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he just didn't quite deliver. And, and, and again, that whole thing of setting up this idea that oh, it was the Mandalorians who, who rescued him, that's Mandalorian gunfire, I don't think mm. went anywhere either. Yeah, even when the Mandalorian looks into one of the tanks and the clone opens its eyes. It's like, okay, well, that, that's a trope. That, like, happens in every show where something's in a tank and you go and look at it and its eye opens. But it doesn't do anything. It doesn't come to life and, like, smash the tank and attack him or anything. It's just, it's just these little tropes here and there. Just, again, very comic book-like, almost like a, a, a panel in a comic book. Mm. The eye, The eye opens. But it doesn't mean anything. We don't know whether it was really sentient at the time or whether it was just a, a reaction to someone being outside the glass. Or We don't know because, again, they push one button and it destroys all of them. I mean, when, when I have a bunch of clones of myself, Dave, in tanks, I'll have a button where if you just push it, it just destroys everything. That makes <laughs> so much sense. I, I guess it's like Davros's total destruct button at the end of Genesis of the Daleks. <laughs> sure, exactly. Uh, look, look, that's all right. Um... A lot of fans have reacted big time to the destruction of the Darksaber. Did you have any reaction, Rob? I thought two things. One, I thought the way he crushed that around her hand, wouldn't she have a broken hand? I was thinking practically in the moment there. But, but more seriously, I thought this is probably a good thing because it takes that symbol and these rules off the table. And if they're following her now without the Darksaber... It's because they really want to follow her. They're not adhering to this, as you were saying earlier, who makes these rules? You know, they're not adhering to these old rules from the olden days. And I thought, well, narratively, that's probably a good thing. And that probably makes a lot of sense. Even though I wasn't particularly enjoying that it had now become the Bo-Katan show. In terms of that narrative, I think that makes sense. I think it's a good thing. 
Yeah, I kind of agree, agree with you. I thought they were going to lean a little bit more heavily into the whole, you don't need the Darksaber to lead them, they lead them because you're you. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that's where they were going to lead. So I, I, I would have liked them to do that more, but I think that was what they were trying to go for. And, was, and look, I my takeaway, so I think they got it across and, and yeah. they just weren't heavy-handed for a change, maybe. Yeah, look, look, maybe maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I, I, I should appreciate the subtlety there uh, a little bit more. I, I, look, wasn't fast, And again, someone who hasn't, come to this via the cartoon series i had no knowledge of what the dark saber was i wasn't someone who when it came out in the after credits teaser in season one went oh my god that's the dark saber i went what's what, what what's that yeah whereas i went holy shit. yeah yeah so it never quite had that that whole thing for me so i, I just thought it was an interesting thing to do given particularly that they'd had the whole rushed mm. handover before uh rob a couple of positives for this season were moments of, hey, is that is that him? And there were a couple of those in the season. Mm-hmm. The chap, Ahmed, I think his name is, who played Jabba, ja, not Jabba, Jar Jar. <laughs> he um, packed on some weight. He did, but he, um, he, he, he got to turn up as a Jedi Knight rescuing Grogu. And, and that was a moment of, I, I think that's the guy who played Jar Jar Binks. I'm, I've seen him in docos. I think that's him. And then, you know, I quit you. Oh, wow, it was him. I thought that was a really cool little cameo. Yeah, I didn't I didn't clock him as Ahmed Best. I clocked him as someone I think I should know. And so, like you, I looked him up afterwards. It was like, oh, wow, that's nice. Yeah, so I thought that was nice. And there was another moment when they had the great Imperial Council and this captain stood up to speak. And I've gone, is, is that... Is that Captain Millennium? Mm. And it was. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really, really cool. And then we also met that chap's dad. Yeah, again, I I saw that big moustache and I turned to my wife. I said, who do you think that is? I didn't know it was going to be him, but I was hoping it would be. She's read Air to the Empire. Well, she read Air to the Empire when she was a, a teenager. She's read it two or three times in her life. And she goes, it's Captain Pelion. <laughs> I'm like, yep. <laughs> the other one, though, the leader of um, the guy who's the father of the guy who's in the the New World Hux. Order or Hux. That's what that's what it is. And are they the New World Order? I can't think of what their name is. The New Order. The first order. The, the New first order. The first order. Here we go. The first order. Yeah, they're so memorable, aren't they? I I didn't really put two and two together on that one. That the guy in the trench coat and the little cap was was his father. I didn't get that, but I thought it was cool when I knew. I didn't get outright that it was his father, but when they said General Hux, I'm like, oh, is that a relation? Is this the young... Mm. Well, first I was like, is this a young him? Actually, no, he's about 25 in Force Awakens, so he'll be about 10 now. Um, So that doesn't work. And then I I looked it up and they're like, no, no, it's his father as played by the actor's brother. So I thought, oh, actually, that is really cool. So points, there were, again, just scattered through this a lot of very cool, nice moments. And look, there probably were people who've gone, hey, they got Jack Black, that was really cool. There probably were people who went, hey, they got Lizzo, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there were lots of nice moments dangled through. And the elephant in the room, when they've got Pelion on, and they're like, what does Thrawn think about this? Or where's Thrawn? And he's like, oh, well, he's having a slash or something, you know, so I'm, I'm on the video today. Because <laughs> uh, they're keeping their powder dry for Thrawn showing up in Ahsoka. Yeah, and I think that is a very good example of where they are seeding something here for something they want to do in other seasons. And and, and they have said very, very clearly, Favreau said that 
his plan is that all these series do link together and you do drop stuff in one to set up another. I don't think it's going to be quite as blatant as the Mandalorian just turning up and taking over two out of seven episodes of Boba <laughs> Fett, but, but this was an example of when you go to Ahsoka, this scene helps give you some context for it and helps whet the appetite for Thrawn coming. And, and again, I'm, I'm not somebody who's seen Thrawn in Star Wars Rebels, although I will get to his episodes. I'm working through Rebels. Mm-hmm. But but as I've said many times before, I'm a massive fan of Heir to the Empire, and so that is a big deal for me. Yeah, and as we've spoken about offline and different conversations, they are heading into that territory there's the heir to the empire line in the ahsoka trailer even and uh i've dropped a a nugget of information about something that was in bad batch that is very heir to the empire centric so yeah it's it's a coming dave yeah look absolutely and and i'll i'll say here because we are in spoiler territory when they started mentioning all this stuff about the cloning techniques and all of that sort of things, um, my friend James did say to me, oh, I know what they're going to do here. He's very so smart. He's going to go back and he's going to make all that nonsense with Snoke and clone Palpatine work. He's going to back, you know, do, do, do retcon and backstory mm-hmm. and he's going to make all of those stupid movies that ruined Star Wars actually make sense now. And, and I said, yep, well, that's a really, really good theory, but... I've read the Heir to the Empire trilogy, and there are clones in that as well. And given Thrawn's presence, they could be leaning into that. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure where they'll take it. Because, again, going back to our conversation, I was saying to you, they can't lean into it fully now that we've established in canon even the fact that the Kaminoans did the cloning. The, the Kaminoans aren't heard of in the Heir to the Empire books. They've got nothing to do with it. It's it's the Sparty clone cylinders, cylinders in that story that do the cloning. So I think they've got to lean into the Kaminoans being involved, and that ties into some Bad Batch stuff. I'm trying not to be too spoilerific, because we haven't done a spoiler curtain for the Bad Batch. Yeah, it'll be interesting how they pull it off, but they're certainly doing something in that area, Dave. All right, well, I feel like we've thrashed the show and the characters enough, Dave. Maybe time to move into our highlights and lowlights. Do you want to go with your lowlight? My lowlight is a potentially contrarian one, and that is that I thought the season finale lacked any real sense of gravitas. Was it a good bit of action with lots of things blowing up and spaceships crashing into planets like the Scorpio at the end of Blake 7. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It wasn't boring, but I did have a real sense at the end of the finale of, was that it? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a real shame, given how much I've enjoyed The Mandalorian in many ways, including this season, that I invested in a lot of these little clues and a lot of these side plots across the course of eight episodes. And so I was left when when it was a very light superficial episode that really didn't bring a lot of threats together. My, my main thought at the end of the finale was, is that it? And that's mm. a shame. When you said, you know, lots of explosions and people flying around and stuff, you, you reminded me of something I've not mentioned all episode. And that's earlier in this season, they established that Mandalorian jetpacks have limited fuel and they can't get very far. It was the episode where they couldn't do the rescue of the boy. They couldn't fly to him because the jetpacks have limited fuel. Then in the final two episodes, they do nothing but fly around like Iron Man constantly. They have no resupply. They have no fuel. 
but the jetpacks are magically able just to fly and fly and fly. And in the end, I think they flew up into the atmosphere and, and got onto a ship or something. I, I can't quite recall. And it's like, don't set up a rule in universe and then break it four episodes later. That is so lazy. But I just went off on a tangent, didn't I, Dave? <laughs> You're allowed. My low light. Gosh, we're really spoiled for choice here. Basically, everywhere you turn, the series was doing something dumb and mocking you for giving a sh- about the first two seasons but i'll stick to something big and glaringly obvious and again it's the mandalorian being the bit player in his own show if they wanted to make the series about bo-katan then the series should have been called bo-katan and din Djarin could have been in an episode or two just to round out his story and if they did that i think the bo-katan stuff would have become a hundred times more palatable instantly like oh bo's doing this bo's doing that bo's awesome okay sir show after all but to do it in The Mandalorian, it just oh, felt like a bait and switch. Hey, kids, you've shown up to see Din Djarin and Grogu take on the world. Well, hang on to your seats because Din's now completely hopeless and will need to be saved in every episode. Is that what you want in your hero that you're turning up to his show to watch? No, I don't think it is. I thought that was stupid. That's my low light. I wonder if there are fans of Boba Fett out there who feel that this was karma for our <laughs> beloved Mando rocking up and doing exactly the same in their series. Maybe they do, because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they do. <laughs> Dave, what's your highlight? My highlight will not be a surprise to people who know how much I love Andor, and that is the episode The Convert, which was set on Coruscant. Mm-hmm. I loved the world building in that. I loved the way that they talked about how do people who have made a career fighting for the empire suddenly have to go about just being citizens in the new republic it's something we've seen in the you know the denazification of germany it was yeah. a really difficult and complicated thing and and you know these people who fought for the empire weren't just numbers they they were citizens and they now have to be reintegrated and some were just cashing a paycheck some believed a bit some believed a lot and are still continuing and are going to use that and 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 that sense of betrayal was really interesting the way that they set up that agent i thought was really really clever and really sinister and the the final moments with dr pershing were really good but just one moment that has no right to be as big a deal for me as it was but it just really emphasized to me this world was when they stop and they see the mountaintop and they say that's the peak of the highest mountain on Coruscant it's the only bit left that isn't covered by city and I just thought isn't that a wonderful image it just conjures up Mm -hmm. this spectacular futuristic sci-fi city planet in a really meaningful way with two characters I'm, I'm investing in now and I'm believing in and there was just so much in there that I really enjoyed and the episode ended with a cool TIE fighter fight so those little moments in a really good episode was the highlight for me what about you Rob yeah well I was just going to say Coruscant obviously the city covers the whole planet and it does give you that sense of depth because in all the novels you read you're always told about all the depths of yes. Coruscant and it makes you realise that if you think of a very tall mountain and think of all the, the, the layers of city that would be constructed to get to the, that height and then think of that being mostly around the whole planet. Exactly. In- incredible. But yeah. my highlight, Dave, look, 
I found it genuinely hard to take away a highlight. Oh. I've I've been into the idea of this ties into something you were saying earlier about not knowing much about Mandalorians, but I've been into the idea of Mandalorians since we got a taste of what they were in the nineteen eighties Marvel comics. I still have some Marvel comics from the nineteen eighties that have all these Mandalorian stories in them. And I adored the Clone Trooper series of Star Wars novels, especially the ones written by an author called Karen Travis, who I highly recommend to people. She became uber notorious within the range for a while because she used to say really funny to me and controversial things about Jedi, and she used to really annoy Jedi lovers. But uh, I digress. Because of my love of the Mandalorians, of course it was interesting to see them retake Mandalore and all that, even if it felt pretty small stakes overall, like, oh, we just blow up a base and we've got the whole planet back. So that felt very small stakes. So instead, snap, I'm going to highlight that Dr. Pershing episode as well, which so many people hated. They really did because it did go off on that wild tangent and people were like, well, why aren't we talking about the Mandalorian? And in this case, I actually thought it was justified. I thought it felt like a really cool Star Wars short story from the 1990s. You know those novels like Tales from Jabba's Palace or yes. Tales from the New Republic? It felt like a story in one of those. You know, the war criminal trying to find his way and and he ends up getting his brain fried by an Imperial fanatic. And just on that, I will say I found that a bit sloppy, that the, the doctors had no intention of frying his brain. They were going to use that machine for good, not evil. They left him in a room with that Imperial nutcase. She fries his brain. What happened next? Surely they come back into the room and realise his brain is fried. Who who was the only person in the room? Her. Why wasn't she arrested? Because <laughs> later we see she's still working her day job and doing normal stuff. I, I found that a little sloppy, that it would have been so obvious that she did it. Yes, uh, that yes, was my okay. only complaint there. But that episode, I really enjoyed for all the reasons I've just stated. My wife really enjoyed, but it got a lot of heat online. I'll say that much. Yeah, look, I can totally understand why. Uh, there were people who loved Andor. There were people that didn't enjoy Andor. And I think that there's a very big overlap between those who liked Andor and this episode. Yeah. Well, Dave, we've discussed the season as it was. I wonder what people think of our discussion. Do write in and let us know. Shall we move on to our final, final thoughts before we put this one to bed? Look, I'm going to be quick because I've said it all already. There were aspects of this season that were not as strong as the first two for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think it held together as well as the others. And I think there were plot threads that were wasted. And some of the big plot threads of this season weren't as interesting to me. I was over Grogu. I'm not that invested in the Mandalorians. But I will come back to the fact that for eight weeks, once a week, I got to sit down and visit the universe of Star Wars with some cool characters, with some great guest cameos, with some dragons, with some monsters, with some cool fights, with a great visit to Coruscant, some cool worlds. And I just got to live Star Wars. And I think that we are very, very lucky that we've got so much Star Wars that we can even not like some of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just, I just enjoyed watching this series. Was it as good as season one? Not remotely. Is it still better than most things on television and something I enjoyed watching? Yes. Hmm. When you say it, it's great to have like Star Wars on television like this. I'll comment briefly that there was one episode, and I wish I could remember which one it was now. It opened, and I said to my wife, look how good the effects are. 
and look how good this direction is. And by God, I wish I could remember which one it was so people could go and look at what I mean. It was the very start of an episode. And in that respect, this isn't just like in the 1980s when they tried to rip off Star Wars and made this thing called Battlestar Galactica and it was, you know, (laughs) a a bit ropey and, you know, sci-fi on TV wasn't good through like most of the 80s. And when we started to get to next gen and stuff, it started to come good into the 90s and things got a bit better. This is movie quality stuff. Yes. You know, so I totally get where you're coming from. And we are very lucky to have that. Of course we are. I, I just felt the thing was disjointed. But into my final thoughts, I'd be super happy given the way the series ended with Din and Grogu hanging out at the farmstead and Grogu torturing a frog and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Din wants to lead a less exciting life. For that to be the end of The Mandalorian, I, I really would. And, and literally, they start the Bo-Katan show next, or less facetiously, maybe a show called The Mandalorians, plural. Yep. And there's zero expectation of Din and Grogu showing up. If they show up, great. If they don't, they don't. And we just explore other Mandalorian stuff going on. I think that would be just fine. This season showed, to me at least, I don't know what people out there think. Again, write in, let us know. This season showed to me that they can't respect the character that brought them all the goodwill and the fame in the first place to the series. So, fine. Knock him on the head. Knock the whole thing on the head and start something else. Maybe even with many of the same characters. You know, you can run over to Apollo Creed's planet sometimes. You can do this, you can do that. You can even have Din Djarin in the show because all you need is a stuntman after all and Pedro Pascal can just phone in some some vocals for it (laughs) later. But it would just send a signal, a clear mission statement that this is something new. It's got stuff in it you might know from other shows, but this is new and you said earlier in the in the the episode if if things were pitched a slightly different way would it would it have been the same and no it would have been different for me so reboot the thing change the name i'm comfortable i don't know about you dave with din just sitting on the porch with grogu and that's that's the end of them for week to week adventures i'm i'm kind of over it i'd be relaxed with that I, i would yes you would yeah it's interesting that at the the end of the just the third season of only eight episodes, we feel that way. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying I wouldn't watch him in a season, fourth season, and if they do it well, it'd be great. But if they, if they'd said that's his story and now he's going to retire to run a restaurant, well, you know, I'm. <laughs> I, I would say okay, that was a really cool story. You're very big on this restaurant idea. What what part of Din's personality makes him a restaurateur to you, Dave? I don't know. I just have the idea of Mando's farm being a thing. <laughs> Is it like is it like uh, Clarkson's farm? Yeah, that literal absolutely. <laughs> Grogu is uh, what's his name? The, Caleb. The, Caleb. <laughs> this is great. It writes itself. It really does. It really does. So look, we'll be back to talk about Mando's farm if it happens. Yes. Um, potentially, we could be back at some point to talk about Rebels season five. I mean, Ahsoka. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Look, we mentioned Ahsoka briefly. I have high hopes for that series. I'll throw that in here so it's just on on the record. I I actually have really high hopes for that series. I didn't because I really have no personal investment in Ahsoka. But after seeing the trailer and all the things that they're bringing in from other parts of Star Wars lore, I actually think it looks really, really cool and I'm quite excited for it. 
Well, I'll also throw in Ahsoka is essentially a Dave Filoni creation. Ahsoka is the thing I think Dave Filoni cares about most in Star Wars. So if Dave Filoni is throwing in his best effort and putting his best foot forward, it's going to be on the Ahsoka series. So between knowing that in the background and seeing that footage we've already seen, yeah, that's that's what's driving me to think this could be really, really bloody good. You heard it here first, folks. Well, we haven't quite agreed on The Mandalorian <laughs> Season 3, but we've ended on a positive note of agreement there. Oh, absolutely. I am I am still turning up to these shows, watching them week to week. I'm rereading a bunch of Star Wars novels at the moment that I never quite finished um, back around the time Disney decanonized them and I got very depressed. The series of nine novels and I only read four of them. I'm, I'm doing those. So I'll talk about that on another episode sometime. Hey, I went and saw a little movie called Return of the Jedi the other weekend. So, <laughs> And do you know, Disney did not promote that being in cinemas at all. It was like when I told people about it, most people didn't even know it had happened. It was very, very much word of mouth. In fact, I heard about it because somebody in America mentioned that they were putting on a on a screening. I thought, oh, I, I wonder if there's a local one, and it turned out there was one at the Astor. So, a few of us went along. It was a packed cinema, mm-hmm. and um, I will say they played the uh, 1998 cut, not the 2010 cut. Okay. And so when um, Sebastian Shaw rocked up rather than um, Hayden Christensen as the Force Ghost, there was a huge cheer. <laughs> and we didn't get the no, no from Vader at the end. And we didn't get uh, Naboo at the end either. So although it was a little bit of the Lucas bastardized version, it wasn't the full bastardized. And I think the audience really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, you would have got the John Williams world music ending where you cut to all those planets and the empires being overthrown instantly. Um, which yes. I always thought seemed quite unrealistic. We did get that, but without the Naboo cut. Right. And we also got that annoying pop singing lip monster in Jabba's Palace. Oh yeah, yeah. Enough, enough said about that. But we didn't get all the other stuff, so it was, it was, it wasn't quite the full bastardized version. But it was still cool to see. Look, look. Do I think Return of the Jedi is the best Star Wars movie? No. But do I think that last half hour is as good as Star Wars has ever been? I could make that argument. Oh, Dave. If you will not turn to the dark side, perhaps she will. No! And then the music that plays? Yes. Oh, goosebumps. Goosebumps every time. Yeah. When I was eight years old in the cinema, when I'm almost 48 years old now. Goosebumps. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we should probably keep going. We should probably go before we just turn this into the Return of the Jedi review. Yes. <laughs> um, so if that's all, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we'll be back soon. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Alternate Galaxies, the podcast where Rob and Dave from the Doctor Who show take a look at other great sci-fi and fantasy that we think Doctor Who fans might like. You can reach us at hello at the dwshow.net, on Twitter at the dwshow, or on Facebook forward slash the dwshow. Alternate Galaxies is an irregular podcast, so stay tuned to the Doctor Who show and other programs on our feed to know when the next episode's coming. Our theme music is called Wretched Destroyer and is by Kevin McLeod. Find him at incompetech.com. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.